at key, I think we ask the most of ourselves every single day. And you, you can't forget that, especially in this climate right now, that parting with that amount of money, it's a big deal. And, and, and you're getting so many different guests. We get people that have saved for years to come here. We get people that come to restaurants like this, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, and so I think it's important to remember that we need to always ask ourselves the most we can. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As we've discussed many times, wine and food matches are often greater than the sum of their parts. And although most restaurants run short wine lists created by the owner at an affordable budget, there are some establishments who run large wine programs and have a team of sommeliers to deliver something special at the pointy end of dining. But what does it take to build a team and create one of the world's best wine programs? Shante Whale is the head sommelier of Key Restaurant in Sydney. Shante, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you here. You're leading the largest single venue sommelier team in Australia. What what's that, what does that feel like to have a team of, of so many? Oh, it comes with a lot of responsibility, I suppose. But to be honest, it's um, it's a it's a total honour. Uh, I work with some of the most creative and um, passionate and entertaining group of sommeliers, and um, I count myself lucky every day to have such a large team. Tell us a bit about the construction of the team and, and what it takes um, to create a team for such an uh, award-winning venue. I think that um, the most important thing is that at the end of the day, the sommeliers are humans and uh, they're all unique in their own way. So the most important thing is to understand who they are as people um, and where they are in the journey of their career. Um, and you know, we've got a really diverse team and uh, I just hope that, you know, in their time at Key that somehow I've helped them on their way to um, making a, a wonderful career for themselves, um, hopefully a pleasurable place to work with a good culture. Um, but it, it is just about understanding where they're at and, and uh, um, playing to their strengths as well. So we have people at Key that have started out um, – working for us as perhaps food runners or waiters had a bit of a passion and, and we've kind of trained them from within. We've got uh, sommeliers that have joined us as, from being a head sommelier at another restaurant to come and join us um, as a senior som. Um, so we've got a bit of everything and, and, and that's exactly the way I like it. Your whole career has, has um, centred around wine, but where did it all start for you? Where did the interest in hospitality and wine begin? Um well, I actually started out uh, working at a cafe in a gap year after school, um, which I quite enjoyed. I liked, you know, the busy kind of atmosphere of a cafe. And then uh, I went into doing um, my degree in uh, contemporary dance at university and, of course, worked at a like a little busy pizza joint. <laughs> um, and, yeah, along the way I kind of picked up books and I, I kind of really enjoyed reading about wine. I kind of thought eventually, mm, I'm kind of reading more about wine than I am about contemporary dance, which could be a bit concerning. <laughs> but um, then, yeah, travelled around, took about five years to travel around um, a couple of different countries and always worked in restaurants. So worked with a little tiny 20-seater food and wine pairing restaurant in Hawaii, 
um, and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, their systems over there are so different. You've got, you know, your busser, you've got your lead waiter. I, I pretty much just, you know, put down dishes and cleared um, coffee cups. But uh, it was an eye-opening experience and, and it was a, a five-diamond restaurant so um, and very wine-centric, obviously. They didn't have a cellar, but they did just food and wine pairing. And, yeah, and then I kind of – I was I was dating a, a jazz musician at the time and we used to go to these wonderful jazz clubs and these group of people um, used to follow him around and they, they were a burgundy club. And uh, just getting to know them, I'd sit down and they'd hand me a, a, something absolutely ridiculous. I had no idea what I was drinking. And uh, then, I, yeah, so I just kind of fell into it that way. And then after that I was like – I could see when I moved around to Canada, there was these wine teams and I was thinking, God, these people are so passionate. And after, you know, a long shift would finish, they'd stay there with the glass of wine talking over things. And I just thought it was like wanting to be part of an exclusive club, um, but it was just their passion that drew me into it. I was like, these guys live and breathe everything about what they do and uh, I wanted to be part of that. I know it was more than a decade ago, but take us back to Hawaii. What Do you have any stories from that period of time that you can share? Oh, God, it was such an amazing lifestyle, i tell you what. I used to work uh, 20 hours a week. Um, I worked not far from the restaurant. I'd uh, ride my bike up there. I mean, when the surf was pumping, you know, all the waiters would turn up late, you know, sand in their shoes. Uh, it was pretty relaxing. Like I said, I was in the jazz scene at the time. It was a really good part of my life. But, um, yeah, it was just so so different. And Hawaii is a funny little place where there's so many tourists come, but they tend to stick in one area. So if you know a local and you get to kind of, you know, go to the tiny little tiny Japanese bars and then go to great beaches. I went to nearly all the islands when I was there. It was, it was definitely a good time in my life, that's for sure. <laughs> How different was the food there compared to what we um, know in Australia? Yeah, quite different. Um, it's a melting pot, though, just like Australia is. So um, everybody is kind of a mix of something. They call it Harper Howley over there if you're mixed white and something else. And so I think I fitted right in um, in terms of the way I look. But, but as soon as I opened my mouth, obviously I was Australian. Um, but the food there is it's pretty cool, actually. I mean, they've got lots of kind of unique, you know, cultural um foods and and um produce there but at the same time you get this real you know got lots of kind of korean influence and japanese and filipino and um yeah it was quite eye-opening to be there and to see see all of that the the chef i worked with was french trained but he used a lot of local ingredients like poi and um different root vegetables and watercress that's grown and goat's cheese that was grown on the island so yeah delicious produce you mentioned that in Canada at West Restaurant, that's when you started to understand a bit more about wine from a service perspective. T take us back there. What, what led to uh, you being in Canada for a couple of years and what was the experience like? So um, I ended up going to Canada because my partner at the time, um, he was also had a Canadian uh, citizenship. So we, but I ended up moving there without him at the end of the day. But um <laughs> I just went straight for the top. I was like, what's the best restaurant in the city? That's where I want to work. Um, and I, what I really learned from Canada is that they have such a good sense of um, front of house. 
um, training and and culture. And um, I work with some of the most incredible waitresses and waiters. And they're all their wine level and their knowledge was quite high. There was one sommelier for the restaurant, but you know, most of the waiters were highly trained in whether it was mixing drinks behind the bar, talking about wine, they could do a bit of everything. So um, it was at a very high level and I, and I really learned a lot of skills, I think, just from watching um, a lot of these fantastic waiters. So, um, yeah, that, that was fundamental. I remember we had a, some caviar on. I think it was about $300 for a, a tin of caviar and, you know, they said, you know, whoever sells the most tonight, you'll get a bottle of champagne and, and um, some caviar at the end of the night. And, and I couldn't – I was floored. I couldn't believe that, you know, one of the waitresses that I was working alongside, she was selling a tin to almost every table and I just couldn't believe that's a lot of money. And I was thinking, how does she have the skill set? And I just watch her and she, she just picked up on what – people were giving her and, you know, she asked the right questions and she had the right jokes. And I, I was just amazed by that because I just thought that's a lot of money to part with. And uh, she's just doing it so effortlessly. <laughs> How vital is um, that wine knowledge for, uh, for waiters and service in regards to confidence and delivering different experiences? Yeah, I think, you know, I think being a waiter is one of the most underrated, underappreciated jobs there is out there. Um, I feel a little sad that we don't shed more light on just the skills that they have. Um, there are, you know, things like Appetite for Excellence, which you've spoken about before with some other psalms that, that are out there to, to do just that. Um, but it depends on the restaurant, obviously. Uh, when you have a large wine team like at Key, with this uh, sometimes six, sometimes eight sommeliers working a night. So there's so, many, so much access there for the knowledge on that night. So um, we can kind of separate it. But at the same time, I think it's, it, it goes hand in hand. You live and breathe this industry because you love food and you love wine. You love the, everything that comes with it. So if you've got that passion for being in the industry, then it's natural to want to learn a little bit more about what you're working with and the produce or whatever it is. So I think it's important that everyone just mostly have a joy for learning if they're in hospitality because that's really our job is to, to share those stories and um, share that with the guests that walk in through our doors. You aimed very high when you went to Canada to work in the best restaurant. And when you came back to Australia, you worked at a restaurant that's been in the top 50 in the world, one of the most awarded restaurants in Australia's history. Take us back to that time when you first went to Key and, and what it felt like. Um, funny story. I actually saw Pete had released his book, um, Key, when I was overseas and at the tiny restaurant that I worked in at Chef Marlboro, one of the chefs, Gooch, who's actually quite a famous chef now over there, he he had the book. And I remember thinking, God, that's stunning, that book. But I didn't know who the chef was. And then when I went to West, the head chef there, Wang, he also had the book. And I kind of was like, oh, I've seen that before. And when I looked into it, I was like, oh, it's in Sydney. Oh, I didn't know there was such good restaurants in Sydney, like from my hometown. Um, and then I just got that call to home as we do back to our beaches and back to the warm, warm environment of, of Australia. And I just was like, you know what? I really want to work with your chef. I'd heard wonderful things. So I didn't have an interview. I kind of fobbed my way in here by pretending I had an interview. <laughs> and um, I thought, you know what, if I don't get a job here, maybe I'll go back overseas. But I really wanted to work for Pete. And um, luckily enough, the manager at the time gave me a shot. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was shaking like a leaf the entire time. I was thinking, I don't know what I've got myself into here. But um, luckily, I rode out the storm. And uh, yeah, and then 10 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> Tell us a bit about Key. It's, it's such an iconic 
site, an incredible restaurant. What's it like actually working uh, in such an influential uh, landmark establishment? Um, I think that, you know, the most important thing to know is that people have extremely high expectations when they come to dine here. And so at Key, I think we ask us the most of ourselves every single day. And you, you can't forget that, especially in this climate right now, that parting with that amount of money, it's a big deal. And, and, and you're getting so many different guests. We get people that have saved for years to come here. We get people that come to restaurants like this, you know, every couple of weeks, um, and so I think it's important to remember that for some people, this is the biggest thing that they're going to do in, you know, their month of dining. And for some people, it's not. But we need to always ask ourselves um, the most we can. And I think that comes with um, weighing up a lot of decisions, you know, and always I think we always ask ourselves from the management team to everyone here, we always ask ourselves, you know, what's the right thing to do in the situation? What's the right thing to do by the guest? What's the right thing to do by the restaurant, the owner's? the manager on duty, the wine team, but also by your own ethics. And I think always weighing up every situation and kind of saying what is the high road, what's the right thing to do is um, it can be tumultuous at times, but I think that that is how you manage expectations and you try to exceed them, I think. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, Pete is one of the nicest humans I've ever met. Um, he's been so supportive of me in my career here. Um, he's a delight to work with. He runs a wonderful kitchen culture. And the same goes for the women that I've been um, surrounded with at Key. Most of which for the 10 years I've been here, it's been um, all females in upper levels of management, which is not the way that we necessarily designed it. It's just the way it's kind of happened. Um, but the culture that's being created from the people that I see on a daily basis is why I've stayed here so long. So, yeah, pretty amazing place to work. And I wouldn't be here for that long if, if it wasn't. The wine program at Key is extraordinary, but what's the process in creating your wine list? Do, do you uh, discuss things with Peter Gilmore? How, do, how does it work? Um, I've always said that wine lists are something that's handed down from one sommelier to the next. If you look at the calibre of psalms that have come through Key over the years, it's absolutely mind-boggling. So part of... Um, the approach to a wine list first is what you've inherited. And that, that might be some wines that you're like, oh my gosh, what were they thinking when they bought that? Or most of the time you've, you've already been given the basis and the fundamentals from the person before you. And in my case, that was Amanda Yellop, who's been my mentor for all the time that I've been here. Um, and then it's, then it's adding in what's happening. And, and, and like you've heard a lot of some say before, but it's very true. It's, it's about what is right for the venue and what's right for the food that you're, you're presenting. Um, but then it's also about a representation of the um, country you live in and then also representing the international stage as well. Um, and you want to have a little nod to where some of the original varieties came from, you know, what are the benchmarks, um, but then all of those to the new producers. So it's about trying to find balance and try to um, represent the world of wine in as many pages as you can. You can. The art of the sommelier is um, one that was put under a little pressure in the last year and a half um, with restaurants closing and all sorts of things, all sorts of unknowns with such a big team and such a, a big restaurant. What sort of impact has, has that had on, on you? Yeah, I mean, crazy, uh, crazy time. Um, obviously, we shut down for three months um, 
and that was a time of, of reflecting, I think. Uh, we ended up, it was a, ended up prepping a lot of things with Pete. I ended up sitting down on the floor, having a glass of champagne with him, just kind of thinking what what is going to, what is this world coming to? Um, but coming back, um, you know, everybody looked at their business models again. We, we kind of threw out the rule book and went, okay, what have we got to work with? Um, in the approach of coming back, I think what I'm very proud of is that um, nearly all of the wine team, or in fact, all the wine team were some of the first to be to come back. Um, at Key, we have an approach uh, a bit like my own uh, history of starting out as a runner and working into a section waiter job, doing the hostess, doing phones, um, being head expediter, moving into a wine team, wine role, and now as head sommelier is we train all of our SOMs to start out doing all of those jobs. So they start out running, then they work their way into a section. Um, so they're really invaluable because they're so multi-skilled. And I think that that's really important because we are looking at running off smaller teams now um, but being multi-skilled makes you a better sommelier anyway. Um, but yes, yeah, so we kind of had a pro- and I had an approach to come back and just look at what we could do. Um, we did open less days, and um, but we're finding everything's working really well for us. And I think that's a great lesson: is that sometimes the pitch is not exactly what you remember or what you think it's going to be. But if you're malleable and flexible, um, and you say yes to change, then you can actually come out um, better in the end as well. You mentioned that the wine lists are often um, passed on, and 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 you also mentioned mentors as well. Who who are some of the mentors and main influences in your career that helped shape the direction you've gone? Oh, so many to name. Um, it's so funny when we first looked at this, and I started writing some notes for myself. I just kept listing names, and I thought I can't give you just a list of names, <laughs> but really. Um, it takes so many people to, to make a career in this industry. Um, I would definitely say Amanda Yollop is my, my main mentor who's um, kind of worked with me, believed in me, um, but also shared a lot of the, the ups and downs of the industry, the mistakes that have been made. Um, but there's, there's this, like a guard of, of Psalms. There was the, the original guard of sommeliers, the Sophie Ottens, the Annette Lacey's, the Matt Dunn's, the Michael Ingleman's, Chris Morrison's, um, Mike Benny's, there's the guard that you surround yourself with, the people that um, lift you up, their contacts all over. There's most of the people that have been on your show, for, for example, Emma Ferrelli, Pip Anderson, Penny Grant, Kavita Faella, these people that become your posse or your people. And then there's this new guard that I'm seeing now, and it's so exciting to see the personalities that are coming up. But it all adds to the people that you surround. It's this industry, that family, that extra large family that we have um, in Sydney, but also all in Australia that really makes this job so exciting. Um, and then I'd also just say, you know, some of the the, the manager on duty uh, or our general restaurant manager, Sharon Collins, um, who's been in the industry for a long time, she's been somebody that it's the other things, not just about how do I write a wine list, but how do I deal with these problems? How do I, um, how do I figure out for myself how to have my own voice, but then also pay homage to the people before me how do I deal with the tricky guests when this happens you know those people that just go through it on a day-to-day basis with you that shed a little bit of light on how we can be better industry professionals they're the people that um that keep you I think at, at a venue key is uh, such an, a special experience and some people um, only get to go there once others 
um, go there quite regularly, but it is quite exceptional. How do, how do you deliver a, an experience, a food and wine experience? What is it, the message that you share with your team um, for key? Um, I think you've heard this before, but it's so important. It is always about being perceptive and understanding people. Um, it's about reading who are these people, why are they here, and then how can I deliver the service that they want from me. The better we are at picking up on um, what people want out of the experience, the better we're equipped to, de to deliver it. So I think, um, you know, and sometimes it might be that someone walks in the door and, and they're a bit rude at the start, but you think, I think it's always about putting yourself in their shoes and saying like, what kind of day have they just had? You know, we don't know where they've come from at the moment and maybe they've just rushed here in a rush and the traffic was terrible and they're lost and they're upset about being late. Who knows what it is? So putting yourself in their shoes, but then um, just understanding, you know, what do you want? And, and then reading humans is hard. It's not something that it takes time. Um, but I think that that's the most important. That's how I think we will exceed expectation is being perceptive, reading people and then saying, okay, I think, you know, let me ask you a question, let me gather more information and then let me do whatever it is needed for you for this experience. Can you remember the first time you saw the potential of food and wine matching? Yeah, mm, that's a good question. Um, I think like a lot of like a lot of experiences, they tend to come from um, like a source of, say, for example, being having an experience where you're somewhere where the food and wine actually make sense because of the its source of origin. For example, being somewhere in like Barcelona and having, um, you know, tapas and then drinking, you know, cava or perhaps um, being, um, you know, in Germany eating German sausage and drinking Riesling. It's those experiences where you're like, this is this is an experience because it's come from the place, the people, the history, and it makes sense together. I think that was the kind of first, and it could be something simple, but I think that was the kind of first understanding of food and wine pairing for me. Um, we do a lot of pairing at Key. Um, it's kind of a a little bit of a warning I say to any sommelier coming in is you're going to be talking a lot about wine to people sometimes with eight courses at nine at the moment and you might ask for an aperitif and a digestive afterwards you know you're speaking and you might be doing four different pairings that's like 40 times that you're speaking to a table about food you know food and wine and why they're working together so it, it's a joy because we actually go on a journey with the guest um, but it definitely is a big part of what we do at Key. Amongst the many things that your wine list celebrates, Australian wine is um, for, for, at the forefront of that. What's some of the wines or even uh, regions that you're really loving in Australia at the moment? Oh, man, there's so many. And there's still a lot that I still haven't been to um, or I've only visited once and I really need to go back to. Um, or I always think we think as local as possible so for me New South Wales is a really important area um, and it's really developing very very quick some of the smaller regions um, like Nick Spencer is um, shining a light on like the hilltops and Gundagai um, Tumbarumba um, but you know there's places that have a special meaning in my heart like the Hunter Valley because it's the birthplace of Australian wine but also because I've been so integrated with um, winemakers from there um, 
Margaret River is heaven to me. I mean, I absolutely love that region. I love beach culture and surf and I love Chardonnay. So that is a place that any opportunity I can be there, I will. Um, and I think places like um, the Great Southern is, is coming up with some really exciting wines and different varieties. Um, you know, Granite Belt, I've never been to and I'd love to get up there and, and kind of uh, – see what they're doing and so yeah it, it, I think we are we're so spoiled for choice I mean you've got 21 re regions in Victoria it's just yeah it's pretty exciting we can't travel internationally at the moment but if you could travel abroad what sort of wine regions would you want to go and visit oh that's a leading question I would like to see some of the perhaps older um, producing countries places like um i'd like to see like georgia and lebanon um i think areas that perhaps um a little n that i don't have as big expectations for because they're always the ones that are really surprising um greece has a special place in my heart um for a trip that i did there because i didn't know what to expect and i was so pleasantly surprised by these varieties that I could barely pronounce um, and um, the, you know, just the level of winemaking. So um, I think places that I have more mystique about and I know less about intrigue me even more. Take us back to Greece. You said that it surprised you um, there. What, what's some of the experiences you had? Um, so I was on the trip with actually the same trip that Emma Forelli spoke about when she went to Santorini. And uh, it was a very well-organised trip um, in that we started the trip off by doing a um, – Greek wine expert certification course over three days. So our introduction to the country was a deep dive into um, the history, the varieties, the, um, the regions, the subregions, a bit of everything, um, which was a kind of catalyst for me for later in life because what I realised was I got so much out of that trip because I had spent so much time studying it that when you stood in a vineyard and you were looking at the sandy soils and then tasting Sauvignon Blanc from that and realising why that tasted different from somewhere else that you'd tasted within Greece, I had so much more appreciation because I had spent so much time trying to understand it from the book up. And then um, so – that was, I thought, this is why you keep learning. This is why you keep asking yourself time and time again to keep studying is because it really gives you a sense of joy in understanding the world in which you live. Um, but, I mean, we just did so many fun things there. We, we, we went to a bear sanctuary and understood, you know, they, they showed us that there's bears living in this region and this is how it's sustainable. And, we, you know, we drank ouzo with locals and did Greek dancing. I mean, it couldn't be more of a um, celebration and and – the, you know, the hospitality of the Greek people is just, I, I find joy in seeing you find joy and we're proud of our country. And it's kind of the approach I've always wanted to have to hospitality is that that collective joy is what it's all about for me. For someone that delivers the best food and wine experience in, uh, in Australian restaurants, how, how do you like to, to eat and drink? What's your ideal food and wine experience? Um, I like a bit of everything. I like getting dressed up and having a beautiful meal out of beautiful glassware um, with, you know, people that um, have researched the linen that, they, that you're using or the, or the plate that's been designed. But I really love a pub dinner with a schnitzel and some cold beer. Um, I love um, kind of those bistro feelings as well. I love all dining. Um, I don't do it as much. I moved out of the city recently um, 
down to where I'm from originally. And so I live in a, a pretty small little suburb now. And I have to say that I think, oh man, I really do miss going out and, and being 10 minutes from uh, an Uber ride to where I can find out what's happening in the city. So, um, but all of it for me, that's, that's Australia for me in dining is that it's diverse, it's multicultural, and you can get um, absolute incredible quality at all different levels. What sort of advice can you give to young budding sommeliers about how they can create a, a really incredible career like yours in the industry? Oh, good question. Um, I think most importantly, find good mentors and they're out there. And I think that not enough people are asking for help when they're needed or looking to learn. So, you know, sometimes they don't fall in your lap and it's great to ask a question like, hey, I'm, I'm up and coming and I... I would like to reach out and, and get some help on what to do. Um, I also think be as invaluable to your employer as you can. So um, learn new skills, um, be open-minded, be flexible, um, and and be down to earth. I mean, I think I think about a lot about what. Australian sommeliers look like on an international stage and I think all the time we want to be a reflection of, of Australia and that's down to earth, friendly and hardworking and diverse and multicultural. So I think it's really important to start under, being what kind of sommelier do I want to be and surround yourself with those people um, but it, be willing to, to work really hard and um, and also be, be willing to understand the industry, the whole industry, not just selling wine on a floor. Be willing to understand who, how the wine gets into the store. How do those reps choose their, their wines that they show you? How does um, the winemaker um, choose a representative? You know, just if you're curious about the whole industry, then the whole industry can thrive. And I think that's the most important part. So be curious about wine in all its forms. <laughs> Your role is a dream job for many, but it comes with many pressures. But what do you love about uh, your your vocation? Um, I think the most rewarding part is the people and playing, even if it's a small role in somebody else's career. Um, Amanda has always spoken to me highly about what a legacy and what you leave behind. Um, so the, the most rewarding part is watching other people thrive in this industry and going on to achieve things that you probably you know, maybe not imagined or, or are capable of yourself. So having a small part in, in that is um, the biggest reward for me. Um, but it does come with lots of challenges too. And I think it's important to talk about um, what the challenges of, of, of a service life, which is um, creating all these wonderful experiences for other people. I think it's important to these days I kind of say, you know, am I arming my sommeliers with all the tools, all the weapons um, am I giving them the handbook of what it means to be not just sell wine, but to be an industry professional? Um, and that comes with a lot of ask, you know, asking questions in advance. Like if you all day, you say yes to everything everybody wants for the most part in a restaurant, because we always exceed expectations. How does that affect you in your personal life when you go home, you know, is at the end of the day, a knockoff thing. I deserved beer because I've served beer all day to these people. And how does that affect you? And what are some of the problems that can come up with that? So I think um, at the moment, yeah, it's really just about trying to make sure that I have done my job by giving as much information 
to these young young lives that are going forward and then making sure they are professionals from in a, in a cohesive sense I think well, that is um, very, very inspiring, Shantae, and we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch, and we'd love to hear from you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.